common questions I get when I'm doing trainings, when I'm training mentors, when I'm training program directors is what happens if X, Y, and Z. So they want to see examples of sticky situations and they also want to see examples of how they should respond. Uh, And mentors want to see exactly what our approach looks like in action, right? Because we can talk all day long about how you should be with kids and how you should approach a kid and how you should be empathetic and curious and playful, understand where they're coming from, all of that. But what does it look like? What are the things you're saying? So uh, one thing that I did with my Stable Moments locations is I said, you know, whenever you have sticky situations come up, please email me the scenario and I can kind of come up with a sticky situation slide deck and and give it to you guys on a member training call. And some of the scenarios that they got were really great scenarios uh, where it could be awkward for the program director, it might be awkward for the mentor. So what I'm going to do is actually offer this, this training to you guys it just give you some of the sticky situations that some of our locations have come up against and what our response should be based on the stable moments model. Now, I go over some approaches that you can use if you are the actual person that's interacting with a kid. So what you should actually say or how you should actually approach a situation. But this is also helpful for people that might be foster parents or service providers because I also show how you can lead by example. So maybe you notice somebody else doing something because this was a training that I was giving to program directors. So maybe they notice mentors doing something wrong or they have to model for a mentor how they should use the approach. And I think that that can be really helpful because a lot of times as we become more trauma informed and more trauma responsive and we start getting good at using this approach, we inevitably notice other people not doing it so well. And that can be frustrating. And I know as a social worker, especially when I first went out, it was frustrating often to see parents even and, and, you know, the community at large schools not understand trauma and not have trauma informed responses. So rather than getting frustrated with that, I can give you some approaches so that you can model what it looks like to have a trauma-informed approach um, and kind of step in and show with your own response how you can make a situation uh, better for a child. So I'm going to go through some sticky situations with you guys and give you some of our approach and hopefully this very practical application episode will be of use to you. All right, let's do this. I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast. I started this podcast to understand from all perspectives how we can help end the foster care crisis. The overwhelming response was we need to support our local communities. Unwanted, abandoned, orphaned children are the community's responsibility. We must support, guide, love, invest, raise up generations that will nurture, love, and support their own children to end this crisis. So the purpose of this podcast is to build an army of people that are interested and willing to take responsibility of our foster youth and who are supportive of foster and adoptive families. This is the on-ramp for people who want to get involved but might not know where to start. I want this to be a place where community members feel like they can make a difference, where they feel good enough to make that difference, and believe that they can be a big deal in the life of a child. 
Thanks for being part of our community and make sure to join the conversation in the Stable Moments podcast Facebook group. Together we can end the foster care crisis. All right, guys, I'm so excited to bring you a training on sticky situations because this is what people are afraid of, right? I saw a post on some social media the other day that was talking about, you know, how people are so scared to foster or adopt. That's the feeling that they get, that they're just scared to do it. And there was a picture of a little girl with a foster dad sleeping next to her on the floor and helping keep her safe from monsters and Uh, The foster mom asked something like, is this the little girl you're scared of letting into your home? So it was a a kind of a good eye opener of how that little girl was really scared and somebody was able to open their home. They weren't too scared to help her not be scared. I really liked that. So let's make things not so scary, right? Weird things are going to happen. Sticky situations are going to happen. Awkward moments are going to happen. This is human relationships, folks, and that is just the nature of it. And then you take a whole bunch of dynamics and a whole bunch of things that we're not used to and trauma and family trees that we can't quite follow and things can get messy, right? But it's okay. We're just showing up and that's that's what we say. So we're just showing up. We're just going to be there and we're going to navigate that. So remember, first and foremost, remember that these are scenarios that we can learn from. Welcome sticky situations. You know, this is where natural horsemanship has helped me so much in this field, in being a parent, because one of the things that natural horsemanship teaches you is when your horse is doing something that you're frustrated with, you say, oh boy, that's interesting. And you really look at every opportunity, um, every problem as an opportunity. So You want to say like, oh boy, I guess we need to work on that. Here's another part of our relationship that we can work on. Here's an opportunity for me to step into this sticky situation and be there for you. So this is actually what we sign up for, right? We don't sign up so that everything can be great and happy and, you know, there's no issues, right? If that was the case, we would never be in this situation. There wouldn't be a call to action. There wouldn't be a need. So we sign up to help. So things are going to be inherently tough in that, right? So welcome sticky situations. Really try when your body's going, oh, I wish I wasn't here right now, or I have no clue what to say. Really try to welcome that. And you know, at the very beginning of this podcast, there is a uh, practical application or practical tools that everybody can use. So go back if you haven't listened to that first, that really talks about just our approach in general. So, you know, being curious, being empathetic, saying like, huh, you know, I'm a little confused right now, or, you know, things just moved a little fast for me. Can we slow down a little bit? Or I misread that, that, uh, conversation, or I think I was wrong right there. So just labeling things can help us literally address and put a name to what is happening with our feelings. And what's so awesome about that is you are exemplifying for a child or for another adult how we can label what's going on and we can 
um, label our feelings and we can be aware of our feelings and we can talk about those and that's okay. Maybe at some point, you know, you can have a kid or another child stop and say, I feel frustrated right now. And now you've made leaps and bounds, right? So this is what this is all about. We cannot avoid sticky situations, but we can respond appropriately. Again, this is not about getting it right. There are a gazillion times that I have said the wrong thing or I have been like, oh, I could have done that better. And you know what? Repair is so big in this work, uh, repairing the relationship that even when you mess up, even when you don't come to a sticky situation in the right way, when you don't use the approach, when you were punitive, when you actually induce shame, which are things that we don't want to do with uh, kids who have endured trauma, right? Even when you've done that, there's still a huge opportunity there because these kids have not gotten proper repair. Nobody has said, oh my gosh, I was wrong. I'm so sorry. That wasn't your fault. I should have shown up better. Um, so it gives us an opportunity to do that, even if we mess up. So never all is lost, right? And all is lost is something that these kids feel a lot. You know, when they can't get something right, uh, they just want to say, you know what, I, I can't do this. I suck at this. All is lost. I might as well not even try. So let's try not to be that way ourselves. Let's try to lead by example and not go, oh, all is lost. I guess I can't do this. I guess I can't, you know, show up for this child. I guess I'm, I suck at this. I didn't do the right approach. Let's try to stay out of that mind frame, right? Because that's what we're trying to evolve from. And let's try to go into this like, you know what? That was really tough and I made some mistakes. Can we start over and repair the relationship? I promise you, you will have so much more of a fruitful relationship after, you know, you've messed something up or you've done the, the wrong response and then you've repaired it than you would if you just kind of ignored what was happening. Okay, so like I said, Stable Moments locations sent in their sticky situations. They were situations that they just didn't have a textbook on. They wanted to make sure that they were using the right approach uh, when they encountered these situations. So I was able to give them some guidance on that, and I hope that that guidance can be helpful to you guys as well. All right, so one of our first situations was a location that happened to learn that over the summer, because uh, Stable Moments locations usually s shut down during the summer and they start back up with the school year, they learned from a caseworker that one of the youth that comes to the program is transitioning. So you have a youth that's transitioning from male to female or female to male, but a caseworker tells you about it, you know, just a week before the kid is supposed to come back and the stable moments program director was wondering how to approach the subject when the youth returns. So this could be helpful for a lot of different people, right? This could be helpful if it's somebody that goes to your church, if it's somebody that goes to a camp, if it's somebody that goes to school and comes back and is transitioning or has transitioned. Um, so hopefully this will help people in a lot of different scenarios uh, understand how we can approach this subject. Okay, so first thing is ask the person who told you that if the youth knows that they are sharing the information. So say the caseworker or the other teacher or the person at church or whoever tells you, ask them 
Or maybe it's a parent. Maybe a parent calls you and says, hey, my kid's transitioning or this foster daughter or whatever is transitioning. You know, last year she was Christina. This year she wants to be Chris. I would ask, great. Does Chris know that you've told me this information? Does he expect to be called Chris here and be acknowledged as a male? So first I would ask that question because if the parent or the person who tells you says, yes, absolutely. Uh, he actually asked me to tell you, then you're like, great. I mean, and then it's kind of a done deal from there, right? You're going to see the, the kid and say, Hey, Chris, what's up? Love the new look. Um, and keep going on with your session, right? Um, if the parent or the social worker says, no, they don't know that I'm telling you. And I just wanted to give you a heads up, but you know, navigate it however you want to, well, then that's fine. If they come onto the property or they come see you assess the situation, is it obvious that, you know, does Christina look different? Does she have a new look that you can say, oh, this is different. You know, if Christina looks exactly the way she did, then I would go about your relationship obviously creating the space for these conversations and making her feel safe. But I would not broach the subject if she doesn't even know that somebody told you that and she's coming back to you as if nothing has changed. If it's obvious, just like if any kid had a new look or was sporting anything, you know, obviously different, address it right there. You know, say, Hey, I'm loving the new look. This looks awesome. Is it still Christina? Uh, and then have the kids say back to you, no, it's actually Chris now. And you're like, great, this is awesome. I, I love it. And then, you know, move on and allow there to be conversation. But I don't think that there needs, the child needs to know that you accept them and that they belong here regardless, right? Depending on your relationship, I think that you can ask some questions, you know, like, oh, it's awesome that you transitioned over the summer. Uh, that was super brave of you. I'm proud of you, things like that. Uh, but if you don't have that relationship yet and you're just still getting to know this kid, then you don't need to go into the fact that they transitioned and all that, right? We're supposed to accept children the exact way that they are um, and we meet them where they're at. So. The main key here is fostering belonging and fostering the relationship. So say it's not so obvious. There's not like a particular look that you can be like, oh, whoa, cool, new look, whatever. Um, and you're really wanting to be respectful and you're wanting to open that conversation. You can, as long as you don't feel like it's going to break trust from the person that told you, you can say, hey, I heard that you were transitioning and I want to be respectful. What would you like me to call you? What are your pronouns? This is all a part of rapport building and getting to know who you are working with. So what parts of the approach are we using? We're using uh, labeling and validating. Hey, I noticed X, Y, and Z. I noticed you're rocking a new look. Um, that's labeling what you see and kind of calling something out so that you can have a conversation about it. And it's also staying curious. Hey, I just wanted to know what would you like to be called? How would you like our relationship to move, move forward? You're always keeping the relationship as, as, as the goal. Um, and whatever will enable more connection go with that. So if you're wondering, you know, how to tread, because all of these situations, there's, there is no textbook. Everyone, you need to use some form of judgment, right? To, to make sure that 
you are keeping the relationship as the priority, but you want to make sure at the end of the day that a child feels like they belong and that they can continue the conversation, right? Stick to the open-ended conversation, the open-ended questions. So rather than like yes or no answers, ask them questions that are open-ended where they can dive into more conversation if they want to. Okay, this next scenario happens more than I wish it would, but uh, I know that there's a couple examples I've given on previous podcasts of times that uh, when kids ask questions about, you know, how many people live in your house, how many rooms are in your house. I even had a professor once in, when I was going for my social work undergrad uh, that by accident, like forgot her wallet at home while she had a kid in the car. And so she ran into the house and she had to bring the kid in because you can't leave a kid in the car. And the kid asked about, oh, does somebody sleep in this room? And she said, no, that's a guest room. And then the kid said, well, you adopt me. So this scenario is what happens when a kid builds an amazing relationship with a mentor and asks, will you adopt me? And of course, again, this could be any kid, any situation, Uh, where you are working with a child that's in foster care and is wanting their forever family. And they may ask you, can you adopt me? Okay, well, just the question, can you adopt me, is enough to stop anyone in their tracks and have their heart break into a a million pieces, right? So it's really, really important that we approach this question with the most empathy possible. So some things that you could say are, oh, honey, I can't imagine how difficult it is to not have a forever family. So we start by validating their feelings of what they're saying they want, right? You can say, I'm sorry that I can't adopt you, but I'm committed to showing up for you every week. And you can talk to me about this stuff. I know it's hard. So that means that you're still wanting to have a relationship. You're telling them what the commitment is to them and you're reiterating that you will be there for them. So maybe it won't be every week, but make sure you let them know what your commitment is to them because a lot of times they want to know, you know, if they're used to people leaving them or being abandoned, then they want to know how long are you going to stick around and let them know, give them a hard answer. You can say, I wish it was that easy. I don't know why the world is the way it is. It isn't fair, but I'm willing to figure it out with you and do the fun things that you're good at. So this turns the conversation back around and starts talking about the fun things that they're good at. This can be a redirection while also validating that it isn't fair and that you want to figure it out with them and that you're still there to have the hard conversations. Um, And Something that you can do if you really want to continue this conversation and kind of validate, you could even talk to them about what their forever family would look like. What would you like your forever family to look like? Uh, What would you want them to be? Let's draw your forever family. Um, It's okay to dream and to want things like that. Everybody wants a forever family. So validating those things, I think it's really important that we don't shut it down, right? Nope that's not happening or, oh, I know that's hard and then keep going. Okay. I don't want people to hear me say validate and hear validate where we don't continue with the relationship and stay curious. So whatever that kid needs you to do, right? Validate and then get curious, see what they need, see if they want to explore what that looks like for them. Um, 
and then engage them in fun things that they're good at, um, keeping in mind that they're still valuable, um, still worth something, right? Because anytime that you face rejection, you could think, oh, it's because of me, she doesn't want to adopt. And that's not what we're trying to do here, right? We're trying to build up their worth. So engaging them in things that they're good at, letting them know about their strengths and interests, um, maybe doing a and about me board. This is an activity that we do at stable moments, but you can do it. It's like a dream board, but it's actually an about me board because how do you know what your dreams are when you don't even know who you are? So one of the first steps you can take is just like, let's get to know each other. Let's write down all the things that you are, that you're good at, that you like, and you can do this as like a collage and it might be their favorite color. It might be pets or animals that they're into. It might be sports that they're into. It's just a whole collage of about me. It's really supposed to be a snapshot so they can start seeing, oh, I am good at that. I do like pizza. I do like baseball. Um, and so that they can have a snapshot of who they are and they can take that home with them and they can, you know, take it from home to home as they go. So things like this that help them develop their worth are really helpful when a kid is wanting a forever family and wondering why they haven't gotten that yet. So just a little preventative measure here and kind of a word of warning understand that when youth are asking you about your situation, they're often wondering how they may fit into it. So questions like, do you have a husband? Do you have kids? What kind of house do you live in? Where do you live? Those questions might be because they're wondering if they could fit in your house, if you're close to their school, if they could be adopted by you. So you don't need to actually answer these or necessarily answer these questions. You can say, oh, why do you ask? What kind of house do you want to live in? Maybe they're wondering, you know, what kind of house does an adult live in and what kind of house could I have one day? Well, we don't know, but usually it has more to do with what they want and themselves a curiosity about, you know, how they fit into the picture, how they fit into the world, then it has to do directly about you. So again, if they say, do you have a husband? And you just say, yep, I do. We've been married five years. It shuts off the conversation. But if you come back with, oh, that's interesting. Why do you ask? Then they can answer however they want. And you've kept the conversation open. You're building relationships. You're not making it about you. You're making it about them. And you're not leaving yourself open to, oh, great. You have a husband. Do you have kids? And then you say, no, but we want kids. And then they go, great. I'm, I'm adoptable. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to talk about, you know, how you want kids or your infertility journey or any of that with a child that is desperately wanting a forever family. So these are some of the ways that you can protect yourself from those questions and keep sessions with kids, keep conversation with kids about what they need. All right, our next scenario is if you're working with a child and they go into graphic detail about their abuse history. It's so important if you're going to work with kids who have had an abuse or neglect history that you train yourself to have nothing shock you or at least not have anything obviously shock you. Um, you do not want your body language to make a child feel shame. So... I've seen community members before seem to forget who they're working with and a kid might divulge like my dad used to leave me in the closet overnight or 
my uncle used to touch me and even go into more graphic detail than that. And the community member or the person working with the child, the media is like, well, did you report that? And is he in jail? And, and the way that we respond really needs to be validating of the child. So to react in a way that that is just so wrong and I can't believe somebody did that as much as I know that that's probably how we feel it can make a child feel like something's wrong with them and that you are put off by what they're telling you when they're really maybe just trying to engage and let you know or sadly this may be so normal for them uh, that they talk about it like it is an abuse or it isn't uh crazy or it isn't shocking because it's just so normal for them. So you have to appreciate their normal. You have to, uh, take their reality as reality and understand them, right? Uh, empathize with them. So the first thing you want to do is check yourself. Okay. Just hear it. Let that sink in. You can process your emotions around it later. You want to validate them. You can stop and face them. And you can say, that shouldn't have happened to you. Thank you for sharing that with me. I think you're really brave. Okay? So anything a kid tells you, you want to first stop and validate them. Tell them that something shouldn't have happened to them. They may not have been told that before. Believe it or not, there are kids that continually get abused that have never been told that it's wrong, that it's happening. Okay? So they're, they're explaining something to you and you might be the first person to say that shouldn't have happened. Um, and so that's really important to give them that, you know, stopping and facing them, getting down on their level and really appreciating the, the, the magnitude of what they're sharing, um, and thanking them for being brave and bringing that to your attention. Okay. And that's all you need to do. We are not therapist. We don't say, how did that make you feel? What happened? Just validate. Say, thanks for sharing. And you can move on from there. The main thing that is that this is a big deal. The kid did feel like they were safe enough to share something with you. So your relationship is being built and you want to be able to hear that stuff, validate it, thank them and, and move on, um, in these situations. Or give them the space. If they want to talk all about it, you can listen, right? And you can continue to validate. Uh, but we don't need to dig any deeper. Just make sure that your reaction isn't emotional or uh, prying, that you're just someone that will listen and validate and let them know that it shouldn't have happened to them. Um, that is building the relationship. All right. I hope that you guys are, these are helpful for you. The next scenario is that a youth reports drug use to you. So I know that uh, even, you know, like my husband as a teacher, kids will try to talk about pot around him or see how far they can go, right? So kids do bring up drug use, especially, you know, kids from tough beginnings, uh, drug use might've been very common in their home and they might use drugs themselves. Okay. So we're not shocked by this, but what do we do when a kid says, you know, I use drugs and how do we respond? 
And it's really, really important, right? Because we don't want our typical validation response to make them think that it's okay and that they can tell you that they're, you know, doing drugs all the time and that you're their new friend that is condoning their drug use. So there's a couple different levels to this. So you might have a kid that says, you know, I smoke pot to relieve stress sometimes. Or you might have a kid that says, I steal my mom's pain pills. So in both those scenarios, you may have a different response. So relationship is key, but safety and boundaries do matter. So if the kid says, I smoke pot to relieve stress sometimes, you can ask them some questions. Let's get curious about this, right? What kind of stress? You know, I can't condone smoking pot, but I totally get the need to relieve stress. What else could you do? Does anything else help you relieve stress? What about running or what else could we do to relieve that stress? And so open up a conversation of some possible um, coping mechanisms that they could use other than substances. This is really important. You might not get a kid that uh, is going to quit smoking pot. They might smoke pot often with their friends and it just is what it is. Um, so you know, it's more of our job to help them realize some other coping skills or possibly even like, you know, understand their stress a little better. This is an opportunity to understand them. Okay. So if a kid says, I steal my mom's pills, you can validate by saying, I'm sorry, you feel like you need to do that. Ask them, what does it do for you? And if they say, you know, well, it makes me feel good. It makes me escape this world. It makes me not care about all the crap that's going on in my life. Then you can say, oh, I get that. It's a lot. I know that you're dealing with a lot. Is there any other way that you can get that effect? And you could actually even start working at the barn uh, with some things that release endorphins and make kids feel good, like exercise. Other questions you could ask is, does your mom know? What would happen if she knew? Could we tell her together? So if you ask a kid, does your mom know? And they say no. And you ask what would happen if she knew? Well, maybe the kid's wanting to tell their mom, right? Maybe they want to tell their foster mom or their adoptive mom, right? Because they're telling you. So they want somebody to know this is very clearly a kid that's saying I'm doing something that I'm not supposed to be doing. So Maybe they're going to share with you that they're afraid that if their mom knew that she'd call the cops, if their mom knew she wouldn't want me to stay at her house anymore. So you could start going through, uh, the kid could start going through the scenarios and you could say, could we tell her together? If I supported you, could, could we tell her together? So that's a nice way to uh, keep the relationship key, but definitely keep those boundaries and show like, I'm not going to condone this and just talk to you about doing drugs, right? We're going to have a constructive conversation about what else you could do, um, what your fears around are around telling others about this issue for you, and how can we discuss this with people that need to know. Okay, let's just talk about how and when to report certain issues, right? Because it's really important that we keep the kids trust. So now the kid has just come on and told you that they're doing something that may be harmful to their health. And you probably want to tell parents or caseworkers or other adults in their life about this so that people can gauge it. But how do you do that without breaking the kid's trust? 
So if there isn't a direct threat to the child's health, you're not mandated to report it. And I don't know if, you know, if you're just a community member, you're not a mandated reporter anyway. If it's well known that this kid engages in drug use, you don't need to report it to everyone. You know, I had kids on my caseload that they were drug use was a big thing. They were being monitored for substance abuse. They were getting urinalysis for drug use. So to go and say, he says that he smokes pot sometimes, that's not very helpful. They already know that, right? Um, and this is not, we're not turning this into, well, he's doing it again. He says he's using drugs again, right? We don't want to be the person that's going to just report uh, for the sake of reporting. So when choosing to report, I would talk to parents or the caseworker um, about past history with drugs without divulging exactly what they told you. So say like, hey, has he ever um, experimented with drugs before? Um, can you tell me a little bit about his substance use history? Is there any? Because they may tell you, oh yeah, you know, he told his counselor last week that he's been stealing pills from his mom. Oh, okay, cool. Now you're not the only one that knows and the whole care team knows and you can just walk away from that situation, right? And just keep hanging out with the kid and being a support there. Or you can even ask, oh, okay, cool. How do you want me to address it when he brings it up to me? Uh, so, you can ask about his uh, drug history without saying, he just reported to me this, what do you think? Um, you can say, I think he might be curious about drugs. It might be something you wanna keep an eye on at home. So rather than saying, he just told me he steals your pills, um, you could say like, I think he may be getting curious about drugs. Um, so can we keep an eye on it? His trust is really, really important. So. You don't want him to view you uh, or your relationship as one that will just report everything he says. And I, if you are going to bring it up to, you know, somebody on the care team uh, or a parent or other people, other adults, I would tell him like, hey, I want, I'm a little nervous about this and I want to just bring this up to your care team. Uh, do they know about it? Um, do you think it would be okay if I brought it up? I really don't want to hurt your trust. Just say it. Just don't allow them to be blindsided, right? And whenever possible, empower the youth to report it, okay? So say, hey, I really think that your case manager needs to know this, or I really think your mom needs to know this, but could we tell them together? Or, you know, how do you think that we could tell them? How, how would that go over? Um, do you think if we reported it, maybe they could get you some... Um, some help around this and it wouldn't be such a secret or a burden on you. So that is how uh, I would go about how, how to report and when to report. We really want to keep this relationship sacred and it just ruins it for kids if you go, oh good, now I know this information, I'm going to go tell people, right? Okay, and for our final scenario, you notice a mentor or you notice a person in your family or you notice another teacher or you notice another community member divulging way too much personal information or just engaging the conversation in an inappropriate conversation. Um, so, you know, in this, in our program, this might be a mentor talking about, oh, I haven't seen my dad forever and I'm upset about it. And I wish we actually had this actual scenario happen where a mentor was divulging way too much personal information and it stopped being about the child. So how would you intervene with this? 
I would intervene immediately. So you can pull the adult away. You can, you know, interject yourself and ask the child to go grab something or whatever. And you can model appropriate behavior. So maybe you jump in and you say, oh, you know what? This session, I actually did this. I said, this session is supposed to be all about you. And I know the mentor is struggling with their dad right now, but it's not really fair to you for her to bring that up here. Um, And the kid, of course, super empathetic kid (laughs) said, no, it's totally fine. I get it. And I said, I know, sweetheart, but this is all about you. And it's, it's not supposed to be us putting our burdens on you. So I validated exactly what happened. I said that it actually isn't okay. I used the opportunity for repair. So I said, you know what? She didn't mean anything by it either. She is totally here to show up for you. And it was her way of relating with you. I actually brought these three together. So I brought the mentor together with the kid and myself. And we talked through how we're human and things come up and we want to relate. And so sometimes that means talking about more of our lives than we should, but that it's super important that the hour be about the child. So you know, you can actually do this process in real time and just validate and label exactly what it was. So, oh, you know what? This got a little slippery. This is a little messy right now. I'm kind of walking in a messy situation and let's talk about it and let's talk about healthy ways that we can build a relationship. You know, of course, then you're going to pull the mentor, you're going to pull the family member or the staff member aside and tell them like, hey, I totally know that you were just trying to relate. Um, This is why this can be detrimental. So explaining everything about your dad, when we, you know, this child doesn't even have a dad. Um, It can be, it can really trigger them. And that's not what we're here to do. And this is about uh, her and her healing here. So uh, it isn't helpful for her to carry now your burden of your uh, dynamics with your dad. Um, But this is going to heal your relationship more. It's fine because we're going to talk about how this got a little messy and that mistakes are okay and that we're going to have a better relationship even more. And after we had this conversation, the mentor and the kid hugged um, and the mentor got it after that. And you know what? She had gone through the training. She had read the book. She had heard the approach, all of that. And she still, you know, didn't have good boundaries. And that's, okay, because it's more about, you know, us being there to intervene and respond appropriately. So uh, I, you know, went through and trained her a little bit more about how she could respond to things that the kid's saying without bringing up her own stuff. But this can happen with anyone where you just need to step in, but it's important that you don't make the person feel defensive. So say it's, you know, a family member of yours or say it's somebody you work with. If you can just step in and say, hey, you know, I'm going to cut this conversation off um, and do whatever you need to do to uh, stop the conversation, but also label it right there, make the other person feel as though you totally knew what they were trying to do and you could see how that might seem appropriate, but with specifically with a child who has endured trauma, why that's not what we're trying to do here. Um, this is learning for everyone. You want more people in the world that want to, uh, communicate and interact with foster adopted kids in an appropriate way, right? So you don't want to knock them down and make them feel shame about trying. 
Okay. Um, but you do need to take the right course of action and make sure that the child understands why you did what you did. You know, the worst thing to do would be to jump in, shut it all down, and then not talk about it. Because now the kid's wondering if that was weird. Did they do something wrong? Is this mentor going to be okay? She's got stuff going on with her dad. Surely I can't bring up my own stuff. So we've got to talk all of that through. This is one of those situations where we actually would process and just say, hey, you know what? We messed up this time. Um, in my experience, these kids are super, super empathetic and um, want to help and are understanding of, of, of these types of mistakes and are grateful when we show that we can make mistakes too. So, you know, anytime that this happens, anytime that you make a mistake, uh, that you realize that you're in a sticky situation yourself, like I said, label it, say, you know, I messed up here. Uh, this isn't how I intended this to go. Uh, I got confused. I got caught up in my own thing. It has nothing to do with you. That's the big thing. This, this, you didn't cause this, um, you know, you didn't trigger me. This has nothing to do with you. And, and I just wasn't present today and I didn't show up in the way that I would like. And I'm sorry for that. guys. Well, I know that people are always asking for a practical application. What does it look like? What do I actually say? What does a session with a kid look like in practice? When I'm dealing with certain scenarios, tell me what I say and help me get through kind of these messes or these sticky situations. So I hope that this was helpful for you guys. What I would love for you to do is if you have your own sticky situations or scenarios that have come up, please drop them in the Facebook group. Uh, I will go ahead and I will answer those questions. I can also make another uh, podcast about it. I love knowing what people are going through and what they're struggling with so that I can be of some help. We can also always get experts to speak on certain topics. So let us know what you guys need and I'm happy to, to fill that need. Also, if you guys have navigated your own sticky situations and you use an approach that works super well for you, also share that because that can be something that the community can use and that we can all learn together, right? We wanna make a community that feels confident when interacting with foster and adopted youth. All right, guys, I will see you next week.